Lord, we thank you for this afternoon's session. And to all the servants who are gathered here, may they embody the word of 1 John. And may they take hold of the amazing rewards of victory. And especially today, may they receive the reward of the wisdom of the word of God. That they would embody the 66 books of the Bible as life. That this is the source of the creation, that this word is the source of the creation. That even now, this word is reigning over all creation particularly that this word is the source of blessing in our lives. May they see that this word is the source of victory in our lives. Be present in this place and meet with each and every individual here. Be present in this place. May all of our physical weariness fade away and give us the fullness of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Okay, so we'll be reading from uh, 1 John 4, verse 7 to 21. Okay, chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Okay, so are you ready? Let's read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fear has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever love, loves God must also love his brother. Okay. 
vamos a ver porque él nos amó primero. Leemos todos juntos. Y nosotros tenemos este mandamiento de el que ama a Dios, ame también a su hermano. Amén. And I thank you for coming out here even though you must be tired. I'm sure you're very tired. And yet God is renewing us. He is refreshing us. And as you continue to receive the word, spiritually what's going on is that uh, your, your this golden anointing is entering into your brain and, and reshaping your mindset if you look at Ephesians 4 uh, the Holy Spirit the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as reality not an imagination and most of the Bible is, re is literal and now of course there are some symbolism but for the most part it is literal and for the past 30 years God has taught me the literalness of the Bible and so this is the word that moves is the principle that moves the creation and it is the principle that moves uh, over the over man and it is the amazing power of God that brings about the perfection of his image and this is the greatness of the word uh, the, uh, the word of God is powerful and even now as this anointing is being poured out upon you it is renewing your understanding it is unloosening and unraveling the bindings of your, in your mindset and there are many reasons why we want to listen to this word but today's afternoon session the reward today is the gift of wisdom. And so the very first um, um, spiritual gift that is described in 1 Corinthians 12 is the, is, is the wisdom. And according to the characteristic of Greek, the very first word that comes out is the most important. And so why is wisdom the most important of the spiritual gifts? Because wisdom is, is the expression of all the other spiritual gifts. And so even prophecy can be expressed through wisdom. Knowledge is also expressed through wisdom. Because without this wisdom, the power of God cannot go hand in hand. And if you don't have that wisdom, then it makes it hard for people to receive what you say. In other words, wisdom is the expression of the heavenly language with language of man. 
It's the same thing when you preach. God's heavenly language is entering into you. And through wisdom, it is reinterpreted to your language. Right? Uh, Proverbs 8 is the chapter of wisdom. And wisdom is the principle of creation and is the power to reign over all creation. And it is the authority of the king of all kings. What this means is that this wisdom, when it enters into our history, that authority gets availed. It, it pours out. And so we all need to have the gift of wisdom. Okay, uh, in John, Jesus meets with, with the Samaritan women. And through knowledge, she under, he understands her spiritual state. That she is suffering from immorality. But she doesn't, he doesn't say to her, you are immoral woman. Because she had five husbands, but the man that she's living with now is not her husband, right? And, but he doesn't say, you immoral woman. No, rather, he expresses it with wisdom. He says, woman, bring your husband here. If he said, you are immoral, then she would have gotten angry. This is wisdom at work. And so I bless you that wisdom will come upon you today. Wisdom is the is to those who have prophecy the ability to express prophecy in a wise manner. Right to other to apostles is going to come as power to preach and to declare. And so through the word today, receive this gift. Oh Lord, pour it out upon them. Pour it out upon them, Lord. And so let's finish the rest of chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is saying that, uh, that I want to finish before 5. Okay, and Lord, uh, this is really important. And because ultimately what God wants to do is perfect the love in us. And this love is amazing. Amen. And if you are perfected in this love, there's nothing left for you to do on this earth. That love will shape your character. That love will confirm victory. That love will confirm the glory of God in your life. And that love is God himself. And so to us, we need to receive this love. Amen? And because He loves us, we have fellowship with Him. And so through fellowship, that love grows. Amen? And so the love of God will pour out like a waterfall. 
The love of Old Testament and New Testament is different. The, the love of the Old Testament is when we could not confirm that love. But now in New Testament, the love is a confirmed love. And so as long as you open your heart, that love will be poured out upon you as if buckets of water being poured out upon you. Look at the person next to you. There's someone sitting next to you, yes? Whoever he, may, he or she may be, just as that person is real, the love of God is also real to you. Have faith that that love is coming upon you. And in that love, when you look at the world, everything will be beautiful. Amen? If you look at Psalms 8, David, through that love, sees the world. And in the world, everything has the name of the Lord. That even on that tree, the name of the Lord. In the sea, the name of the Lord. In that building, the name of the Lord. And so he praises God that Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. And because he, if you see that love, you can't help but become beautiful. Why? Because everything you see, you see as God. And so with that heart in mind, look at the person next to you. How do you see that person? When Jacob met with Esau, he, he, before he met with Esau, he meets with God on the banks of the Jabbok. And when Jacob meets with Esau, this is the confession he makes. That when I look upon your face, my brother, it's as if I'm looking upon the face of God. And this is true. Because he met with God on the banks of the Jabbok. And so the most dignified state of your ministry is that when you lay your hands upon the person, you, as if you are touching God. Amen? There are every now and then where I, I, I can, I, I've experienced this. That when I lay my hands, it's as if I'm touching God. It's when God, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. That is the love of God. And so I bless you that you'll be filled with the love of God today. And so with that love, look at the person next to you. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. Oh, hermoso. How beautiful. Okay, there was a sister who when she was young she was uh, sexually abused by her uncle when she was young and her hope in her life is that one day I'm going to kill my husband my uncle that was the only reason for her living And if that's her only goal in life, would she grow properly? And so, wait, sorry, one moment. 
And so her body was ruined. But one day she met with God. And she came to know the love of God. And she, of course, forgave her uncle. And she reached out to 90 members of her family. And in the love of God, she covered over it. And so when you receive the love of God, all things are possible. That's how great the love of God is. So let's receive it, amen? And I bless you to know the love of God and receive the love of God. So let's look at today's text. First, verse 7 and 8 is, is telling us that knowing uh, love is evidence of knowing God. So the love of God is very great right now. Uh, tears is coming through to my eyes. I need to be able to limit it because if I cry, I won't be able to preach. <laughs> it's because you are not crying that I'm crying. <laughs> so let's look at the evidence of love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. But in, I don't know about the English, but in Korean, it, it, it feels lighthearted. But this is actually a heavy command. We'll see in verse 11 as well that we, this, we ought to love one another. And this comes from the word that is a command, that you have to do it, that it's an obligation. And so this is a heavy command to say, let us love one another. Because as children of God, we ought to love one another. How God created us is the principle of love. And so if we receive that love, of course we ought to love. This isn't our choice. It's not made out of our efforts or works. When we receive that love, you just will love. This is the greatness of the love of God. And so we need to understand that this is a powerful command. And so not that, not in the sense that I have to do it, but that I will do it ultimately because of the love I receive. And so when you love, if you are not loving, it means you are not receiving that love. And if you are not receiving that love, it means that there are bindings in your heart that keep you from receiving that love. So this is the principle of things. Love, love comes from God. And when I receive that love, I can love one another. Amen? So let's continue. And we always say that faith is, is grace, right? 
It's a gift. And expanding on that, it's free. Free is not because it's not free because it's cheap. It's free because it's priceless. When God called me to ministry, I never once charged for this con for conferences. Because God gave to me for free, then I also should give for free. And it's not free because it's cheap, it's free because it's priceless. And there's only one reason. It's because I'm amazed at the grace that God has given us. And the grace that works, works along with love. And grace doesn't equal love. But if you receive grace, it means that you're receiving love. And, and in grace, the most precious thing that you can receive is love. They cannot be separated. And so if I'm receiving grace, then that love is, is manifest. This is really important. And so there are some people who, have, who lack love even though they're receiving grace. It means something is wrong. It means maybe that's not grace. Because love and grace cannot be separated. Amen? And so just as grace is free, love is also free. Now, of course, uh, we don't pay the price, but it's because Jesus has already paid the price. And so you cannot put a price on love. And at the same time, love can only be given by God. Why? Because love, we have to see it. And so let's say I have a thousand dollars. Will that does that make me a rich man? It may be, but it may not be. Because to some person, a thousand dollars may be a lot of money. To another person, it may not be a lot of money. But when I say I have love, if I know love, then that person received love. Why? Because he has met with God. Because only God can give love. And so you don't have to say to God, show me that love. If you receive love, then you are seeing God. Amen? And so within your hearts, I'm sure the love of God is shaking you. Because God is pouring out His love right now. Okay, I, the sermon is not moving through my head right now. Because this is characteristic of love. And so on times like this, it's better not to preach. Uh, this is, there is a thing like this. But, um, a long time ago, I went up to preach. I think it was I think it was when I was in Denver. And instead of preaching, I just kept crying. Uh, because the love of God was overcoming me. And as I saw how much the devil was ruining the church of God, I couldn't help but break down and cry. I just kept crying. And then I went to a conference in Bethlehem. 
And Jesus himself came. And we couldn't do anything, we just cried. And Lord, even if you come, help me to preach. Why? Because First John in itself is love. So I, I saw, I noticed that many of you have e emotional scars. Scars towards your husband, scars towards your church members, scars towards your children, scars towards your parents. And through the word, uh, all of these scars will be healed. In love, all of these things will melt away. You don't need anything else. And so in love, all of these things are solved. So let's continue. So if you look at verse 7, for love is from God. And as I said earlier, God alone can love. Agape belongs to God. Nothing, no, you cannot find this in anywhere else. And so we can say God equals love because He only loves. As I said this morning, that whatever God gives me is an expression of His love. Even if it's suffering, whatever it may be, it's an expression of His love for me. And so even if you suffer, there's no reason to despair. How much suffering did John go through? He was burned in oil. And so his body became like a squid. And yet he had no anger, no enmity. Why? Because he understood it came from God's love. That's how great the love of God is. And so you cannot express this love in words. And that's why John says, see what kind of love. And this is love. Here is love. And so to each and every single one of you, um, though God pours out the same love, the way you receive is different to each person. And so if that's the case, then let us receive as much as Apostle John has received. Amen. So look, we have been called as disciples, yes? And what is the pinnacle of the life of a disciple? As it says in Mark 8.35, to die for the Lord and the gospel. That is the most glorious life, is to die for the gospel and the Lord. Hallelujah. And so I pray that you will be healed by that love today. Let's continue. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so because you are meeting with agape God, and the God makes it, uh, comes from God, right? Uh, the love comes from God. And so that's clear here. Right? God is love and the new self is having fellowship. And because this is the new self state, the new self state is always having fellowship with God. And because they're having fellowship with God, knows God because he's experiencing God. The new self is the one that continually eat with God. And you need to spend more time meeting with God. 
then more and more and more the measure of that love will grow within you. Amen? And 32 years ago when I met with God, for a year, I, I pretty much cried all day long. That if I, when I slept, at the moment I woke up, my bed, bed my, my pillow was wet. And uh, when I went to work, I would be overcome by this love that I would lock myself in the car and just cry. I was not a person who cried so easily. I was very um, um, intense, but I met with God. And, and, and because I was someone who, who, who was studying, um, sorry, studying um, combat sports, uh, I was always a very intense person. And one time I had to get stitches, and usually um, you get you get uh, you get uh, knocked out. Or, or they make the area numb. But uh, for whatever reason, the doctor could not give me, could not numb me. And I did not make a noise as he was stitching me up. And so the doctor looked at me and he said, I've never met someone as intense as you. But after meeting with God, I became a crybaby. I became a crybaby. As you have fellowship with God, and it's impossible to not cry. And so if your tears are drying up, I beg of you, repent. Because your tears should not dry up. Especially pastors. You may think men should not cry. But it's when you cry to God that you will not cry to anything else. And so please cry out to God. That when the gates open, uh, heaven opens because of your tears. And before this conference ends, I bless you that, that your tears will flow like rivers. Amen? Verse 8. And conversely, if you do not love, you do not know God. The old self does not know God. Cannot know God. And so look. We need to have this clear distinction between the old self and new self. This is what I've been continuing saying throughout this conference. That you need to have a clear distinction between old self and new self because this is the most elementary uh, element to your faith. This distinction needs to be clear that when you that so that when you engage in spiritual warfare, you can be victorious. The old self has nothing to do with God. And as I said earlier, this new self belongs to the devil. The, old, the new self has no system to sin. And the new system knows God perfectly. And when I'm one with this new self, what does 2 Corinthians, how does the Christian Corinthians describe this? That you are a new creation. This is a new creation. 
that you are now a completely different person, a, a different kind of human. And I've been, you've been listening to this word throughout this entire week. That as a new create, as a new creation, you have become an amazing being. And in that new creation, God allows you to enjoy all the glory of God. And this isn't an imaginary, imaginary glory to enjoy. It's not some allegory. It is reality. And everyone who has believed this in faith for the past 2,000 years of Christianity truly lived it out. Even now that glory is being poured out. And until we reach that pinnacle, that glory will never be limited and will be continually poured out. And God is looking for these kinds of people. And I bless you that you would all be this kind of person. Hallelujah. Why? Because God loves you. Because God is love. And so if you love, that in itself is God. That if you love, you are seeing God. Why? Because God alone can love. Because God alone is agape. That everything He does is agape. Amen. And all the glory of heaven is tied up in this. That in that glory, what you see is what? Is love. How amazing is this love? Do you know how great the glory of God is? Even though I have not seen a lot of it, what I have seen completely transformed my life 30 years ago. The glory that I see now compared to the glory I saw then, it cannot compare. And, but, and yet, that glory made me not even dare to look at the world. And remember, I'm someone who enjoyed the riches of the world. I knew the highest peaks of the world. But seeing the glory of God, it looked like nothing to me. That I don't even want to smell the world. I don't want to come close to the world. Look, even though this glory is great, and look at how much glory John saw. That he is someone who had integrated, who perfected the, the revelation of, of the end times. And yet, the revelation that Daniel opened just a little bit, Daniel perfect, or John perfected. That means John perfected uh, the revelation of all the prophets. Zephaniah, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Habakkuk, Micah. All of these prophets were perfected in John. That's how amazing he is. And what does he say? What is his confession? That God is love. That all he can see is love. Amen. And so even, it's wicked to give hurts, but going beyond that, it's more wicked to choose to be hurt. Why do you choose to be hurt? Because you do not trust in the love of God. To those who have the love of God, they will not choose to be hurt. 
in Isaiah 58, it describes the heart of those who are perfected in love as this, that they are like a well-watered garden, that even if the enemy fires arrows, because my heart is filled with water, it, it just passes by. Even though the arrow comes, it just passes by. It, does, it has no room to uh, stab. But those of you who have hardened hearts, you become like a porcupine because the arrows just all get stuck in. It, it gets stuck all over your body. You cannot remove because it gets stuck inside your body. And so it hurts. It hurts. If you want to experience what it feels like to get hit by an arrow, go to Mexico and there's a desert with lots of big cactuses and roll around in that cactus. And then when you try to remove those thorns, you'll know what it feels like to remove arrows. No, we need to be a well-watered garden. Because this is the heart of those who will be manifest at, at, in the glorious church of God in these end times. Those who know the love of God. God is love. And so shall we all cry it out that God is love. Let us all proclaim, God is love. God is pleased with your proclamation. And so let's see the explosiveness of this love. Uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. There's no other way to express it. In this way. In this way. For God so loved the world. For here is love. And so Apostle John isn't writing this in peace. No, as he's having fellowship with God, this love is entering into him explosively. And within that state, he is writing this word. The reason is because I know this because when I preach, the same emotion comes over me. That, that the love is explosively coming out in him. And so it says that this love was made manifest. And this is the difference between the New Testament and Old Testament. That the love of God isn't like a cloud, it's not like a fog, but it's something that can be seen. It is made manifest. And this is the immense difference between the Old, self and new self, or Old Testament and New Testament. And so oh, now, of course, the Old Testament is important in the context that it is the root. And so I've preached out of all the books of the prophets. And the reason why I'm amazed whenever I preach out of the prophets is because the, the, the apostles uh, re-emphasize everything that the prophets say. And so, of course, the truth of the, prof of the New Testament and Old Testament is not different. Just as uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, that, that the prophets of the Old Testament did not have the promise. They did not have the guarantee of the promise. Why? Because Jesus had yet to come. And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah both prophesied of the New Covenant. 
And they prophesied, but it's not because they knew what they were prophesying. Because they could not understand how God would enter into the body of man. How can the word of God be recorded in the hearts of man? From their perspective, they could not understand this. And so as the scribes were writing the word, as they're, as they're meditating upon the word, whenever they come upon the word Yahweh, they break the pen that they were using to write, and they repent before God. They continue to repent, and they, and they write the word Adonai. Because they have this complete reverence towards the word of God. But the fact that this word dwells inside of me, that his spirit is inside of me, this is something that they could not guarantee that they could not receive the guarantee. But you have embodied that guarantee. You have that guarantee in reality. And so if we are failed to walk with God in our faith, it's not because he did not provide the way for you to do so. And it's not because there is this weakness, but rather because you fail to receive that promise. Because you live in the flesh. And so regarding this, we really need to repent deeply. We need to repent deeply if the word of God is not being made manifest in my life. Remember, this isn't out of because of your efforts. It's not lack of effort or out of your effort. It's not that you have to make it of your own. All you have to do is believe. And then just receive. And he will make it in you. So I bless you that this would arise in your life starting from today. And so this love was made manifest. And this love that came it happened only once in the universe. And this love being made manifest happened only once and it opened a new season in the universe. That uh, the time that, that the universe is completely different from after, after Jesus arrived on the earth. And there are many things we can say. But the Bible describes this as a change in the season. So first of all, we became a new covenant, a new being, a new creation. And Hebrew, the author of Hebrews describes this like this. He came to this earth and he destroyed five things and created and and created a new five systems. And so we should no longer live by the five old methods, old, five old system. But we need to live by the new system. First, is that there is no longer the sacrifice of the earth. Oh, sorry, the high priest. There's no high priest on the earth. But now it's the high priest of Melchizedek in the order of Melchizedek. So look at Hebrews 5. That Jesus is the king and also the great high priest. He is the royal son. And he reigns over the universe. 
But what the problem with the king is that the king cannot mediate between you and God. But this king is at the same time the royal priest. And Jesus is the only one who can, who has both positions. And so that's why we give our lives to him. Because he has both positions. And we as well are children of God. And so like it says in 2 Peter 2, that you are priestly kings. And so now who should we meet with? Just meet with Jesus. Then you don't need anything else. That is the opening of this new season. And then the second thing that God got rid of is, is the earthly covenant or earthly holy place. So if you look at Hebrews 9, it says that now is a holy place not made of human hands. It is the place of His perfect hands and we have the right to enter into that place. How amazing. This is the new season that is open to us. But if you get influenced by religion, you go back to the earthly holy place. The earth religion looks for the earthly sacrifice. Then if that, that's the case, you become the priest rather than Jesus becoming the priest. If you're in grace, Jesus becomes the priest. And that's why Catholic Church is wrong because the earth humans are priests. And that's why they confess their sins to the Father, the priest, rather than to God. We no longer have the earthly priest, right? And the third thing is the law. The law has been dealt away with. We no longer live by the law. We live by grace. We live by what God gives. Law lives by what you do. Through what you do, you are satisfied. But no longer do we live by our works. We live by what God gives. It's perfect grace. And another thing he got rid of is the sacrifice. We no longer need to sacrifice animals because the blood of Jesus Christ dwells within me that I now have the right to officially worship God in glory. Hallelujah. The new season is open to you. Amen? Amen. And another thing, through sending of His Holy Spirit, we are with the Lord. And now these five things have completely transformed in us. And these history thing, these historical five events are happening within me even now. Because I am in because he is in me, I am with him. And what happens is that Jesus' death is my death. That I die with him every day. Paul says that I die every day with him. And Jesus' burial is my burial. This is evidence of death every day that I have been buried with him. 
Back in the day, I used to have lots of rage and anger, but no longer. I used to love the world, but now I hate the world. This is evidence of that death. That is Jesus' burial is my burial. Jesus' resurrection is my resurrection. And every day, the resurrection life is made manifest in my life. Jesus' throne is my throne. That I am seated on the throne with him. As Ephesians says, that I am with him and he is seated on the throne of God. And Jesus' return is my return. Every day the Parusha glory fills me up. What is Parusha? It is the presence and the celebration whenever a king visits a city. And so as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that, that Parusha glory that's going to come in the end times is coming now to you. As it says in Colossians, that Jesus' resurrection is my resurrection, or Jesus' return is my return. And so you are living in a completely different season. What do you think of this? Is it this glorious season is upon you. Enjoy it. Why do you fail to enjoy it? Because you do not believe. So let us believe. Amen? And there's many other things I could dis discuss. But because I have to finish by 5 o'clock. New season. That we are at the pinnacle of this new season. And so the world is going deeper and deeper into darkness. But we are not afraid. Why? Because we are coming upon the pinnacle of this new season. And so wait in great expectation. And let us be filled with this inspiration. Be filled with this joy. Let it shake you. Let it shake you. Amen. So let's continue. And so this love was made manifest. Uh, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And so this love is manifest. What that means is that the son, his only begotten son. What does this mean? That God himself came. That God wants to show his love and so the only way he can do that is by coming himself. Because the son is also God, right? And so what is the cross? God died for us. This is an amazing event, right? And there are many purposes for this. But for example, when it comes to forgiveness of sins, if you look at the law of Deuteronomy, it's illegal. Why? Because to forgive sins, you need death. And yet he forgave. Who took responsibility for that? God took responsibility for that. And so that's why he died. And so in order to forgive us, because he had to break his own law, he came and died for us so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled. And so this love, how, how can we understand it? 
why did he give us this kind of love? We are nothing, right? We truly are nothing. And yet, the reason why we are, have this dignity is because this dignified God loves us. It's because you do not know this love that you that it doesn't make it, wait it doesn't make sense to uh, ignore this love and serve others. Okay, if you think that pastoral ministry is about gathering lots of people, then that is a curse. If you try to gather lots of people, that's just a curse being built up. So that's not the case. Pastors. At the very least, if you did not live this way, then at the very least, repent. If you have lived that way up until this point, repent, pastors. Because His love is not manifest in that way. He, in order to love us, broke His own law. And in order to meet the righteous requirement of that law, He died for us. So let's give this example. There's a father. And one day, his son started to do wicked things. And so the father called him. And he says, don't do this again. But, you know, people, it's not easy for them to change, right? And so he goes back and does wicked things again. And so the father calls him again. And he holds the, the, the whip. And he says, if you do this again, I'm going to whip you. And then so for a while, he was able to control himself. And so the son, father gave the son this law. That, that I'm going to whip you if you break this law. And then so he was able to stop. He was able to control himself for a while. But then eventually, you know, people, people are like this, right? And so eventually he committed wickedness again. And so the father called him. He called him. And, and he got ready this whip. And he was getting ready to hit him. But he saw his brittle legs. And if he hits him, he thinks that this, it's going to destroy him. And so he holds this whip. And he hits. He swings it. And he hits himself. And as he whips himself, blood bursts forth. And, and, and as the son sees that, he, he begs for forgiveness. Because the father broke his own law, he beats himself. And yet, man, man still sins, right? And so he goes, he, he, he tries to sneak out to commit wickedness again. And yet at that time, what he sees is his son, he sees his father dressing his wounds, dressing his wounds that he, that, were, that he received because of his son. And so his son breaks down in tears and he repents. This is what Paul is describing in Galatians, that the, no longer mess with me because I have the stigma of Christ on me. And, the, and so the cross is this, is this wound, the scar of, of God. He hit himself. And the cross is our righteousness. The cross is the pinnacle of love. And so God even now is speaking to you in this love. 
Even now, he's writing this letter of love to you. Above all else, God is grateful when you receive that love. And yet, in this day and age, there are not that many people who recognize His love, who acknowledge His love. That is God's, um, God's sorrow. God wants to love because He is love. And so let's continue. Hallelujah. It's amazing, yes. And so the result of this is that, is that we live. Uh, because you cannot you cannot love a dead person, right? And so that is the event of love, is that he saved us. Because you cannot love a dead person, he saves us so that we can love us. And so he first loved us. So look at verse 10. He's saying the same thing, but now he's talking about it from the perspective of propitiation. We talked about this earlier. Verse 10, in this is love. Again, he uses this expression that he can express it. But this love is written in the present tense. That, and that means that he's receiving this love right now. And that's why he says, in this is love. It means that you don't have to go looking for love. You don't need to go looking for love. Just only God can give you this love. And so all we have to do is meet with God. And, and in this is love. And what is this love? Not that we love God. Because love is not something we can make. And this is the tragedy of ministering to people. If I could love people, if I could love my wife, if I could love my children, but that's, that's not right. We cannot. Love does not belong to me. Love belongs to Him. He must give. Amen? So this is where man's exhaustion comes. You, they think that out of my effort, I can love people. But that's not the case. I have to receive the love. And so God loved us first. And so, uh, yeah, He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as I said earlier, because He loved us, He came to this earth and, 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 and in order to make this love manifest. And so, in verse 9, through that we know love. And in verse 10, we see that this, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, for this love. And so this word propitiation is actually not written in the Greek. Okay, sorry. Um, not propitiation, but in Korean there's the word redeem. But the word redeem is not here. It's not in the original text. Yeah, because redemption does not go hand in hand with propitiation. Redemption is 
is this. Sorry, one moment. Okay, but propitiation is different. Propitiation is only the offering that's offered once a year on the Day of Atonement, on Rosh Hashanah. And so this may seem like a small mistake, but it's not a small mistake. It causes a lot of confusion spiritually. So what is the redemption? Or what is propitiation? Propitiation is the sin offering on the Day of Atonement and entering into the Holy of Holies with the pure blood. And so this is the offering that is offered after you have been atoned. We talked about this earlier, right? And so look, this love was made manifest by sending His only Son, His only begotten Son. And in order to love us, He saves us. And it doesn't just end here. It doesn't just end by saving us. But now He makes it so that we are able to meet with Him. This is propitiation. And so now as priestly kings, we enter through the throne. And so we were beggars, but we are not just being set free, but now we have been made into priests and kings. And so when he says that you are righteous, there are many evidence of that. But first of all, it's acknowledging that you have no sin. And that means that you can draw, you can come before the king, meaning you have the privilege to cry out to the king. It's strange if you're unable to draw before him. It's unable if you're unable to call to him. It's strange if you're unable to call out to him. And so, do you believe? Do you believe that that blood is inside of you? The evidence of that blood is that you have the privilege to come before the king. Amen. Hallelujah. And this is amazing joy, yes? This is how much he loves us. What are we? What is man when you look at it from the context of this universe? Right? We do not even make a speck. And yet, why does he love us so much? And so in my expression is, is that you go crazy. You go crazy, right? You go crazy. Right? You, you go crazy. You go crazy. So look at verse 11 and verse 12. And so because of this love, we have fellowship. And so look at how important fellowship is. Because through that fellowship, this love is made perfect. And so in our lives, there's no other thing we need to do. And there's no other purpose we need to see, seek. In the face of this amazing love, there's no reason to look for anything else. For example, let's say my child has to have surgery tomorrow. That only with the surgery he can survive. But the father, the father goes fishing on that day. That's a crazy father, right? It's the same thing. 
in light of this amazing love, this love is being poured out upon you. And yet you choose to go fishing. This is crazy. This is what you have been called to do, is fellowship. Fellowship. And if you have fellowship, God will do everything else for you. This is the only thing you need to do, is have fellowship with God. It's not about works, because God works for me. God works for me. All I have to do is cry out to Him. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's continue. And so, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so, loving as verse 9 and 10. And so, we ought to love one another. Again, this is saying that you should, you ought to, you must. If you receive this love, then it's obvious you should love one another. It's your spiritual obligation. If you look at Romans 8, that we are no longer indebted to the flesh. We, we no longer live by the obligated to the flesh. You are pastors, yes? Are you preaching because you are a pastor? No. Even in our church, lay members preach. If you preach because you're a pastor, then that is debt to the flesh. I have six children. I'm a father. Why do you earn money? To raise your children? No, that means you are dead to the flesh then. No, we do not live because of these things anymore. That the God, has, God has repaid all this debt. Zephaniah 3.18 that uh, that the servants of God being indebted to the flesh being burdened by the flesh is God's shame and so it's not my shame that I'm unable to worship because of my physical needs it's God's shame this, you need to believe in this word that you no longer indebted to the flesh why do you preach? why do you make money? it's because of God's glory because of spiritual obligation. But it's because you are indebted. That's why you are exhausted. As, it, as Jesus says, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to me, for I will refresh you. I will refresh you. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your burdens. Lay them all down. Lay down your burden of, of interpretation, of translation. Lay it down. Lay it down and work with the Holy Spirit. Live with the Holy Spirit. Right? I have no obligation to preach. And so my preaching is my joy because I have no obligation. It is glory. And so if needed, I can preach for five hours. Amen. Your debt in the flesh have all been cast out. You are no longer indebted to the flesh. We ought to love one another. And so if we ought to love one another, amen? Verse 12, 
No one has ever seen God. This is speaking from the perspective of the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament era, if you live in the flesh, you cannot see God. The old self cannot see God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This is again the interchange of the Trinity, or the, ex the dynamic of the Trinity. God gives me the love, uh, um, the Son confirms that love, and the Holy Spirit witnesses to that love. And, and so, because love is evidence of God, when I love, uh, it is evidence of God. And how easy is this? So verse 13 to, to verse 16 is talking about the fellowship with this trinity. We talked about this earlier, but let's go over it again. Verse 13, this is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Yes, Lord, right? Because the Spirit is in me, I am in Him. And so this dynamic is happening, yes? Verse 14. Now it's talking about fellowship with the Father, the Father, and the Son. And we have seen and t testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay, so this is fellowship with the Son. Right, as we saw in chapter 1, that we saw the word of life, we heard it, and we testified. Right? This is the uh, definition of fellowship, right? We saw in chapter 1, verse 3. And so this is the fellowship with the Son. And what is evidence uh, for that fellowship? It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That when I am born again, the blood is imparted into me. And the word is imparted into me. And so this is always with you. Do you believe? Especially as pastors. You're going to preach. Your preach doesn't come out of your research. It doesn't come out of your efforts. The word that is inside of you, you need to see that word. So what we need to do is just see the glory of the word of life. This may seem abstract to you, but that's why we need to keep looking at that glory. And as you spend more time seeing that glory, you, you'll start to understand what this means. And I'm sorry that this is the best I can express this way. But this comes from your experience as you live in the Spirit. So you need to spend more time in the Spirit. And if you look at that glory, that word will move inside of you. Okay, when you preach like someone else out of other people's motivations, then that is then that is not Rama, it's logos. It is not dabar. What is dabar? Dabar is the word action happening together. That when God speaks, it happens right then and there. Right? Let there be light and there was light. 
And so he says, let there be light, and light appears. And so when you speak, that the event should happen. And so, oh, sorry. It doesn't matter who's there. If you keep saying the same thing, or it doesn't matter who's there, but you keep saying the same thing, that's logos, not the living word. Okay, you're allowing the people in the back there to serve you, and as you shake that, you're also offering a wave offering to God. Right, wave offering, wave offering to God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But don't shit, don't wave lightly, but wave strongly, okay? And so this is the relationship with the Son. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, and so what does it mean that you confess Jesus as the Son of God? We talked about Jesus as man this morning. That Jesus came to this earth as man. And when you receive him as man, what happens inside of you is that you acknowledge his divinity. And this is the problem with the, with the, with the Catholic Church. Because they erase Jesus as man, they cannot meet with God, Jesus as God. When we receive him perfectly as man, we also meet with him who is the son of God. And the result is that he is God. The result is he is the son of God. But in order for that to happen, we have to first receive him as man. And so I talked about this throughout First John. The reason why we have to meet with him as son of man first is because if we do not deal with the issue of sin, we cannot meet with God. And when we receive him as son of God, at the same time what happens is we become sons of God as well, as Romans 8 says. And so the result is that he is the son of God. And so there is this mechanism that we confess him as Jesus as Son of God. He has dealt with all of our ish, of all of our sin, and we confess him as the Son of God. And this word confess is really important to the early church. It's not just saying it's confessing with your lips, but it's confessing with your heart that those who call Jesus Lord will be saved. 
we, they had to call Caesar Lord, but they're calling Jesus Lord. That means that they're prepared for death. They're giving their life to God. And so this confession is not a simple matter. It's not something that I can decide out of my strength. The Holy Spirit has to speak. Jesus speaks. The blood speaks. And so my free will receives this. And so confession is not a simple matter. It is an expression of offering God my entire life. It is confession that I am giving God my life. And I'm not speaking of my own. But the Holy Spirit speaks in me. The, Jesus Christ speaks in me. The blood speaks inside of me. And I am agreeing in all of this. And there are many important things I could discuss regarding this. But if you look at Matthew 17, he says to Peter that I will establish the church on top of you. Why does he say that? Because Peter made this confession that Jesus is the Christ. Then you might think this. Wow, Peter through his one confession was blessed. No, that's not the thing. Rather, God who was in Peter confessed with Peter together using his free will. So that's why it says, I will establish my church on this rock. And of course, this rock is talking of Peter. But at the same time, it's talking about Jesus who is in him and as he agreed with him. So what is this rock? Is Jesus is the rock. And so Jesus, the church is established on Jesus. And so pastors, you, each and every one of you, through your uh, confession of faith, you are establishing your church. And so when you make this confession of Jesus, you are establishing the church on that rock. And so confession is a very great element, it's a very important element to faith. What is prayer? The Holy Spirit confesses within you to God. And so if you think about it this way, then not, not a single word of my prayer falls to the floor. Because my free will and with God is, being conf is confessing to God. And so the devil will hate people who pray. No, they will be afraid of people who pray. And so from this perspective, prayer is walking with God. You are walking with God. And this is where prayer, this is the joy of prayer. So let's continue. And so verse 15, God abides in him and he in God. As This is obvious, yes? So verse 16, so 16 so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us so Apostle John is continually emphasizing love 
and he's receiving that love and in that state of receiving that love what is God making inside of him that we come to know that love we come to know and believe that love this is the path that leads to the perfection of love especially if you look at Ephesians 3 we believe and then know that is the normal uh, state of the spiritual things you believe and as you believe you come to know that when you believe you, God will reveal to you what is Hellenism what does the world say I need to understand in order for me to believe right what does uh, Austin say in Austin say in America he says that if you want to believe you need to know and so I know that this is a towel and so now I believe that this is a towel because I know it's a towel but that's not how the kingdom of heaven moves that's not what Hebrew thought is that uh, leave your father and your home and I don't know where I'm going I don't know how I'm going to get there but when I leave I come to know and so it may seem foolish but Hebraism has what in its background? it trusts the word of God because God knows everything and so we trust him but what is Hellenism? It's self-centered. I need to know. I need to understand first that I need to hold on to something real first. Then I'll believe. That's Hellenism. So it's about understanding. But if the church receives the standard of the world, this is how they will transform. That, oh, I need to know first before I move. And so this is Gnosticism during the time of John. Gnosticism. Right? That they, because they have this special knowledge, that it's through this knowledge that they know God. What is Hebraism? Hebraism is you believe first. And yet, here it begins by saying you know. What is this know here? It's the word ginosko. You need to experience love that you will form faith. This is interesting. And, and so here is trust, the word trust. Because you love, you trust. And when you trust, you will love even more. And so the spiritual mechanism here, if you look at Galatians 5, the, the Holy Spirit pours out the amount of faith and as you empty the more the more that faith grows and, and the more you empty the more the Holy Spirit pours out love and so as much as the measure of that faith is the measure of the anointing the measure of that anointing is the uh, measure of power and so where's the focus? the focus is faith faith must be pure faith must grow then that faith will fill everything else. It will fill the love, it will fill uh, anointing. And so this is the basic essence. So it's about belief. You have to believe. Belief is the character of God. And so if you meet with God and have faith, 
that faith will continually empty you, continually make you clean. That's really important, amen? That's what Ephesians says, that faith is a gift from God. And so it comes from God. It's a gift, yes? And so if you think faith is positive thinking, then you keep trying to make your own faith. And so it's really important to properly interpret Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But it's because they interpret it wrong, that's why they keep trying to make their own faith. And so they think that, oh, out of through fasting, that through works I can make faith. Faith is a gift from God. The Holy Spirit determines the level of your faith. And so that all we can do is empty ourselves. So if I give up, then as much as I give up, the Holy Spirit will fill me up. And He'll give me the gift of faith. And in that faith, I receive everything else. Love, power, anointing, everything in faith. Hallelujah. And so we need to understand that when we live with God, everything is a gift. That the 66 books of the Bible, you cannot take grace away. There is nowhere the books demand works. It all talks about your being, not about your works. How can you raise the dead? It's because you are a being who can raise the dead. How can you meet with God? Because you are a being that can meet with God. The Bible talks about being. There is no action. Not even one sentence. If there is a place where it talks about works, then come to me. Then I'll give you my house. There is nowhere in the Bible that talks about action. Because Israel is Israel, that they can keep the word of God. They are not Israel because they keep the word of God. They keep the word of God because they are Israel. This is really important. How can you have eternal life? Because you receive the being that has eternal life. Those who believe in the being, it's about relationship, not about actions. Relationship with God, having fellowship with God. That without fellowship with Him, you cannot survive. Let's say I fought with my wife. I cannot let that go for a day, for more than a day. That's uncomfortable. For the most part, my wife wins. What this means is because she usually comes first and says, I'm sorry. And then I'll say, yes, I understand. That means I lose. But anyways, verse 17, by this is love perfected with us and so through this process love is perfected in us and so it's talking about everything that I've just been talking about 
And so when this love is perfected, what is the greatest gain we have? Is that, uh, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Remember that the early church, their goal was on, was on the return of Jesus Christ. And even now, as we have, we, we are amazed at the fellowship of love we have. But the goal of this love and this fellowship is to be confident when we stand before Him on the Day of Judgment. And so if you live a life based on works, then the evidence of that is that you are afraid. And this fear is, uh, is essential fear. And man, whether they believe or not, they, un they know deep within them that they're going to stand before God one day. And so if you live by works, you are always going to be filled with fear. But we will have confidence on that day. Why? Because I do not live by my works, but I live by my existence, that I am a child of God. I live out of the identity that I have as a child of God. And so there is no reason to fear. And so we are confident on that day that we have a relationship that we can freak, freak, no, speak freely before Him. Because as He is, also are we in the world. And so how amazing was the level of love that the Johannine community had? That as Jesus loved this world, they also loved the world. It seems like a lie, right? And yet they were able to love. They were able to love as Jesus loved. And that is the perfection that the joining community has. It's through this kind of fellowship that they became this kind of people. And so bless your community that they can grow to this level. Amen? So verse 18. Yeah, this is actually a very immense word here. But I'm just going to proclaim it. That, that they love as Jesus loves. And the joining community was a very powerful church. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. And so in love, there cannot be fear. Why? Because love is evidence that I'm with God. That I am with Jesus. It is evidence that I'm with Jesus. That Jesus has set me free from all judgment. That I have been set free from all darkness. That's why there is no fear. And that person has conquered fear. Because when the, and where there is light, there is no darkness. Because fear is, is punishment. It means that you are living a life based on works. And so no matter what good works you may do, you are always mixed with darkness. But because we live by being, there is no fear. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It means that they are unable to receive love in the area that they fear. So whether it's hurts or bindings, we need to loosen all of these things. Amen? So that we can receive that love in all of our being. What does it mean that all of our being? 
that no matter works I may be in the midst of, that I can at all times receive word. For example, let's say I have no money. It's not a problem. Let's say I met with someone and through meeting that person I was attacked, but it's not a problem. Because I'm not doing something in each case by case, but rather because I am a son of God. That no matter what I do or where I go, that I am always one with God. Then you will not have any fear. Amen? And so honestly, as a Korean man, in a certain sense, it's terrifying to, for me to come to Costa Rica, right? And also if I go other places in Southeast Asia, and of course their faces may be similar to my, my me, and really my face is good looking to them, but here too many of you are so beautiful. And also your your noses are bigger than mine and you're taller than I am. And so from that perspective, I might be afraid. And yet I'm not. Why? Because I'm with God here. Amen. So verse 19. Uh, we love because he loved us. He first loved us. And there's no need, explanation needed here. Just receive it in faith. He loved us first. What does that mean? That he'll take responsibility for us. Amen. And so if your wife said, proposed to you, then the wife is going to take responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, don't worry, my sis, because God is going to take responsibility. But this is clear. God loved us first. And so, so he'll take responsibility. I never once loved God first. Even with my pastor ministry, it's the same thing. I didn't say I would be a pastor. He uh, called me. So he's going to take responsibility. And so in your life as well, whatever you choice you make, because he loves you, he will take responsibility for your life. Amen. And he is able to protect his love. And so Paul says, calls this the love of Christ. And it's not just any love, but the love of the king. Let's say that a normal man loves a girl, a woman. And he has no money. And so he can't buy her a gift on her birthday. And she gets sick. And because he has no money, he cannot buy her medicine. That's the love of man. It's limited. But the love of the king is different. That he can do whatever. He can take perfect responsibility.
And this is the love that we have. And that's why Paul says we have confidence in that love. That no one can cut me off from this love. And so let us have confidence in this confession. Verse 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. This is impossible. It cannot happen. And that's why he is a liar, right? For he, he is a liar. Right? This is clear. For he who does not love his brother whom he can has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? If you cannot love your brother who you see, how can you love God who you do not see? This is so logical, isn't it? It's obvious. And so you receive love from invisible God. And that love is real. And the evidence of that love is that if that love is inside of you, it means that Jesus is inside of you, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And it means that I'm filled in the characteristic of the Trinity. Then obviously I would, I ought to love my brothers. I ought to love my brothers. And I can love my enemy. What does it mean? It means that I have no concept of enemy. Because I have no conception of enemy, I can love my enemies. And so are, is the Trinity rising up inside of you? So if you live by the flesh, if you live by the old self, then ultimately what you are doing is you're judging people and hating people. And what is hate? Hate is not loving. What is not love? What is loving? Loving means that you cannot hate. This must be clear. There is no in between. There is no middle ground. And really, the truth. There is no middle ground. It's either A or B. Many people think that truth is multiple choice. But what does it mean to believe? It means that it has nothing to do with unbelief. If you don't believe, it means you do not have faith. This must be clear to you. It's obvious, right? Amen. It's obvious, yes? If you love, you cannot hate. If you hate, you cannot love. It's obvious. And we have been created to always love. And it's our essence to love. And in order for us to be able to love, He has provided everything necessary for us to love. And so the important thing then is that all we have to do is receive. God does not say to try. He doesn't ask you to try. You don't need to try. Just receive. Just receive. Amen? And so it sounds like I'm speaking in a difficult way, but it's very simple. Just receive. Just receive. Just acknowledge that without your love, I cannot love. Without, if you do not give, I cannot live. This is the faith that we need to have. 
Amen. And lastly, verse 21. I'm going to keep my promise. Actually, more accurately speaking, the Holy Spirit has kept His promise. Okay, I'm going to end before five. God is faithful. In verse 21, and this commandment we have from Him. What is this commandment? It is love, right? And love is the order of things. Love can't help but do so. And so that's why Apostle John calls it a commandment. As I said earlier, this is God's perfect will. What does it mean that it is perfect will? This God reigns over the universe. It is the focus of that reign, which is this love. And so if you love, you have everything. And so that's what I mean by perfect will of God. If you love, you have everything. If you love, you can do all things. Amen? It's simple. If you love, you can do all things. Amen? This is the perfect will of God. And so the loving is the easiest thing. Let's say I healed him. I use the ministry of the gift of healing. And that's possible. But we don't need to go through that complicated process. Just God loves you. And just pour out that love. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. There are many there are many services but one love. What does that mean? Through healing I healed someone. So what is the goal of that healing? Is it to heal them? No. It's to make let them know God. That ah, this is how God loves you. This is how much God loves you. If you have love, you have everything. Amen? And so finishing verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. So why is it so important to love the brothers? Because it is evidence that God's love is upon me. Why is love so important? Because through loving one another, we confirm the love of God. What is the cross? The cross is horizontal and vertical. Right? It's horizontal and vertical. Right? Vertical is love of God. And horizontal is love with brothers. And this is not a small matter. Uh, the cross is plus, addition. And so we just ask. We keep asking from God because it's addition. No, that's not the way you should look at it. No, it's vertical is love with God and vertical is love of brothers. If, right, this is clear, yes, when you look at the cross. So, as it says in Deuteronomy, um, love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So can you feel this love? Can you feel the greatness of God's love? And so in this way, we have finished love. 
So uh, hug the person next to you and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Te amo. Te amo. Te amo. Je t'aime. Je t'aime. And instead of closing in prayer, I just want you to go around and bless one another. In the name of Jesus, I love you. En nombre de Jesús, te amo. 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 Te amo. Te amo. Te amo. En nombre de Jesús te amo. En nombre de Jesús te amo. Ah, saramida. En nombre de Jesús te amo. Yeah. 